it's in Second Timothy, the second chapter, and uh, we'll start with verse 24. Now listen to what you're supposed to be doing while you're teaching others. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, listen to it now, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, that perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and then may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to his will. Not quarrelsome, kind to all, patient, with gentleness. Our purpose is not to win arguments, but to win souls. Amen? Amen. Okay, we're going through... Um, the sheet on Mark Your Bible. I'm sorry I don't see any spare sheets up there if you didn't bring yours. But we've noticed some key thoughts. You must agree on authority. Incidentally, can somebody get me a, a, a little water? My, if it's not one thing, it's another. <laughs> My mouth is dry as a bone this morning. We must agree on authority. My brother and I used to argue over how to spell words when the dictionary was sitting right over there. We just like to argue. But you must have authority to decide what the Bible, what is, what is true, that's the Bible. And then you need to emphasize the need for salvation. Uh, we need Jesus Christ, and they need to understand that. The sinners are need of Christ. Then Jesus is our Savior. And now we're starting how to benefit what Jesus has done. We talk about believing in Jesus, repenting and turning to Jesus, confessing Jesus. Thank you so much. still has lots of water left from VBS. I was thirsty. <laughs> now we're going to talk a while about being baptized into Jesus. Now this is my approach. It doesn't have to be your approach, but this is my approach. I use the Great Commission in Matthew to introduce the subject. We'll teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so on. And then, uh, ask them, you know, what does that say about baptism? And then at that point, stop to define the words baptism, baptizing, baptism. And uh, this has been passed out, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has a copy. It says, on one side, it this is the book this is from, in case you, uh, so you don't have one? Uh, okay, uh, where are they? Okay. There's several right here, too. Okay. I just need to work on here. Thanks. Okay, very good. Okay, 
Now you'll notice on that sheet, this is a Greek lexicon, which is a Greek dictionary. And this is a simple one. I've got a big thick one. It's got all, all the different sources and so on. It just goes on and on and on. This is a simple one. So you'll, you'll see there, bapto. Incidentally, baptism is not an English word. Baptism is a Greek word, and they've anglicized it. I'm assuming the King James Version is the one that uh, popularized the anglicization of the word baptized because it means immersion. And the King James Version, of course, was done by Church of England scholars, and they did not immerse. So it's very possible that they uh, did that so that they didn't have to put the word immersion in there. There are a handful of translations that actually use immersion. Uh, the Complete Jewish Bible does. Uh, Campbell's... Uh, I don't know. Mine's going blank on me, but anyway, living, so living so, word. Pardon? I think it's living word. Campbell's or had the word oracles. Oracle, in yeah, okay. Living oracles, yeah, living okay. oracles. But anyway, this this is um, look look on here. All right, bento is the root, and it means immersion. Now, here is the verb baptizo. And it means to dip, immerse. Then you have the verb baptisma and baptismos. Two forms of the verb. One is uh, immersion, other is the act of immersion. Now if you can figure out what the difference between immersion and the act of immersion is, uh, you can share that with me. But anyway, just share that. now. If they're from a religious group that immerses, they're going to, they're going to love you for that. Okay. If they're from a religious group that doesn't immerse, it's going to be an eye-opener for them. But anyway, you go ahead and do that. But then notice on the sheet, I say, but you don't have to know Greek in order to uh, know that it's immersion. And so I've got a couple of passages there. John 3.23 John was baptizing in Anan near Salem because there was much water there. It required much water. New Testament baptism required much water. And I've got Acts 8, 36-39, where Eunuch uh, and, and, and Philip went down into the water, and he baptized, and then they came up out of the water, and the Spirit caught away Philip, and, and, and so on. Now, it's a simple... Point, you know, you say when people are sprinkled or have water poured on them, do they go down into the water? Same thing that keeps uh, sprinklers and immerses out of the water today would have kept them out of the water then. It wouldn't have been needed. But anyway, so it's immersion. Now you also, of course, have Romans 6, which will get kind of wrapping that up, which is a severe, but that's, that's where I go on that particular point. You're trying to stress how, why, and who, and that's uh, that's the how. <clears throat> then I have Acts 22:16, and the reason I'm doing that is to uh, not, you know we're, we're, and I 
Christ says, My parents that arise and be baptized wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And uh, I notice, and, and you see in their Acts 9 and 11, that Paul had been praying for three days, but he still had his sins. He still needed his sins washed away. And so this, for many people today, is, is, uh, is something they've never heard before. There is no sinner's prayer in the Bible. There's no... Uh, you may wonder why in the world you've got a sinner's prayer. Because many times, people who have been saved, whether they've been saved or not, but they thought they were saved at one point, are going to doubt whether or not they've done what they need to do. And, and, and so, it's good to look back at a point in time at which you were saved. Oh yes, I remember I did that. I was saved. Now, God foresaw that. Uh, foresaw that. And uh, what did God do that we can look back on and say, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's when I was saved. Your baptism. Of course, I don't believe baptism saves you, so that's not going to that's not going to help them in any way. So they said, okay, okay, we're going to we're going to have this a point in time in which you say this prayer, and then you can look back on that and say, oh yes, that's when I gave myself to Jesus. But it's not in the Bible, not in the Bible. So anyway, there's no sinner's prayer. Then after that, I have Mark 16, 15, and 16. And let me see if I can find it in, my, uh, in the manual here. It's, uh, it's on, um, there's a page number somewhere here. 20, page 20. Mark 16, 16 is such a simple, simple uh, passage. I remember when I was preaching at the village, I was thinking, it's all, it's all young couples back in those days. I was studying with this young couple, and uh, he got stuck on baptism, and we went through all the passages, so many passages on baptism. And his no, no. No, no. And uh, his wife even said at one point, said, Bryce, are you sure you're open-minded? Anyway, I finally asked him, look, if God wanted to tell us that baptism was essential, how could he say it any better than he did in all these passages that we've looked at? He thought a while and he said, Well, I think if God wanted us to know that baptism is essential to salvation, he would have said, The man who believes and is baptized shall be saved. I almost dropped my teeth at that point. I said, You've almost quoted Mark 16 16. He that believes and baptized shall be saved. Now, look what I do with that. Now, you don't have to do this, but I do this on that piece of paper you're using. I put down the order in Mark 16. 
I've got uh, Jesus up there. This is Jesus saying, preaching, believe, baptism, salvation. And then I made some, I made some contrast. I say, for instance, you have some who believe that babies are born with uh, original sin and need to be baptized. And so you have baptism of the babies. Then you, they're saved. They're not going to go to limbo if they die. And then when they reach a certain age, then you teach them. And then they, then they believe. And so I notice uh, that's, that's not God's arrangement. You draw these lines in there. Then I go ahead with what is very common uh, down here. Jesus preaching so on, so on, so on, so on. Men teaching, belief, salvation, baptism, still not the arrangement in the book of uh, book of Mark. Now, I hold on to that because I'm going to use that with Acts 2. Okay, so we move on from uh, uh, Mark 16 uh, to Acts 2, and then we notice it starts out preaching, Peter preaches the gospel to them. They are pricked in their hearts, or they are cut to their hearts, whatever translation you're using. So they believe. And then I ask the question, now if they're going to follow Jesus' instructions, when they cry out, what shall we do? What should, what should Peter tell them? And if they look at Mark, they say, well, the next thing on the list is baptism. That's what Peter did. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the mission sins, you shall see the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I, I jumped on a little bit to salvation. <laughs> and so then he says, and you'll be saved. Um, and, I, and I often notice, of course, the last verse about being added to their member. Yeah, so we, that kind of wraps up that, that thing. That we'll, we'll get to the summer here in Romans. Um, I like to stop. Now, you don't want to get bogged down in discussing the Holy Spirit at this point in time. So I generally just say, God gives you of His own Spirit. Because the Spirit, God, are they're all that close. God gives you of His own Spirit to help you live the Christian life. <laughs> Pardon me. I like to emphasize now when you when you're baptized, okay, you're saved, you need some things. <clears throat> you need uh, the past taken care of, you need the present taken care of, you need the future taken care of. Past your sins are forgiven. Present you're given the Spirit to help you live the Christian life. Future, God adds you to the church, His support group to help you as you're struggling through life until death. Anyway, that's just, that's just my adding some of the blessings that are immediately talking about Acts chapter 2. Then we come finally, I wrap up that, and of course there's so many other passages on baptism, I'm just telling you the ones I use.
And of course, I, I have the others in mind if I need to. And you may want to write some others in the margin. Uh, anyway, I summarize with Mark, the sixth chapter, verse 3 through 6. I back up and say in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3, the gospel is defined as the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And now we participate in that as we're baptized into Christ. We're dead in sin. We're buried in baptism. We rise to walk in innocence of life. And I've got a, a little chart on that with the circle, step by resurrection. It's a beautiful, beautiful passage and so, so thought-provoking. Uh, and of course, again, we come back with newness of life, wonderful blessings. And I've got uh, some of them here. John 14, God gives us peace. Hebrews 13, 5. Uh, it says, he'll never leave us or forsake us. Romans 8, 18 and 28. Uh, beautiful passage. I, I tell people, if they want to know what the Spirit does for us, just go to Romans 8. That's the chapter on what the Spirit does for us. And of course, my favorite passage in the entire Bible is verse 28. All things work together for good to him who loves God. Uh, to him is a call according to his purpose. Now, again... This is a spot where you could use, as needed, more passages. There are some people that still may wonder, why do I, what's the, what's the value of being a Christian? Why would I want to be a Christian? And if I, if I ever manage to do it, that's going to be on the sheet of other passages that you can uh, have in the, in the white pages of your Bible. Okay. Uh, at that point, I take a break, and remember the card that uh, they filled out at the beginning about when were you saved, when were you baptized, and so on. You, if desired, you can you can stop and compare that. Use your own judgment whether that's a good thing to do at this time or not. Anyone have any questions? That's that's, that's the first part. I was going to see if I can read lips. <laughs> okay, now, for many people, that would be the way they stop the study. They talked about how people are saved and, uh, and, and encourage them, you know, to do that. And, and so they would, they would then make their, make their big appeal at that. Uh, and and this, this, this is just me. I want them to know something about they're added to the Lord's church, but I want them to know something about that. Uh, if, if they're uh, if if they're not religious, they may not really understand what the church is and and, and all the things about the church. Uh, if they're in some denomination, this may help them understand that. Uh, they need, they need to make a change. Um, well, 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 we'll come back to that in a minute. Okay. These, I run through these pretty quickly. I don't spend a lot of time on them unless there are questions, and they may, there may be questions. So this is Jesus talking about Jesus' church. Remember our topic up the top of our pages, Jesus and salvation. So all of these are, are related to Jesus. 
Okay, when was Jesus' church established? And, and again, I think what I was going to say all ago, and I'll go ahead and say it. Sadly, there are members of the church that don't know these things are in the Bible. There are members of the church who think somebody a long time ago decided, let's start a church. And what, what are we going to do? Oh, yeah, we're going we're to have the Lord's Supper the first of the week. We're going to do this, going to do this, going to do this. And they don't know that these are Bible subjects. And if we're doing what the Bible says, we'll be doing what, what, uh, what you know, we try to be always what it says. And so some of these subjects may, may not appear that important, but I, you know, I think they are. When was Jesus' church established? Matthew 4, 17, when Jesus came, he preached the kingdom is at hand. Matthew 16, 18, and 19, the place of the good confession and so on. But anyway, he said, well, on this rock I will build my church. Gates of Hades will not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. He talked about building the church, but then he talked about giving the keys of it, and he taught the kingdom. So when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he was talking about the church. And I, this probably doesn't mean anything to anybody, but I, this is the kind of thing I would throw in. Before Pentecost, this institution is mainly called the kingdom. Remember, the Jews were looking for the Messiah, the anointed one. And when they thought of the anointed one, they primarily thought of a king. A king was coming. He was going to set up a kingdom. So during Jesus' lifetime, that's that's the big deal. They're looking for a, king, a Messiah that's going to set up a kingdom. And Jesus says, that kingdom's been hand. It's almost here. Now, after the church is established, occasionally it's referred to as a kingdom, but it's mainly called the church. So, 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 so it changes. But anyway, those two terms are used regarding the church, kingdom and church. Now, Jesus told his disciples, I'm in Mark 9, 1 now, Some of you shall not taste of death till you see the kingdom come with power. So, it was going to come in their lifetime. And I know it sounds facetious, but if, if the kingdom does not yet come, then uh, there's some awful old people living today. One thing that we have not discussed on here, which is very common today, is premillennialism. And one way or another, you'll just hear people talking about things that have come from the doctrine of premillennialism. But once people understand that the church is the kingdom, that Jesus is not going to come back many, whenever he is, and set up his kingdom, it's already been set up, and he's ruling over right now. Once, once that's established, I've never had to discuss premillennialism. Premillennialism. It ought to be wrong, just been harder to pronounce. I've never had to pronounce it. I've never had to discuss it with anybody once, once that, that's established. If you're interested in studying on the premillennialism, <laughs> look at the beginning of my commentary on Revelation and look at the of, of volume one and look at the end 
uh, volume two on Revelation chapter 20 discussing uh, the thousand year reign. Okay. Now, after it says the kingdom's going to come with power, in Acts chapter 1, they ask, will you at this time restore the kingdom? They said it's not for your, you know, not for you to know the times. God knows the times. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So it's going to come with power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Acts chapter 2, of course, talks about the coming of the Spirit. The power came, the kingdom came, the church came. So, one of the main reasons there that I uh, emphasize this is the very thing about premillennialism. Okay, so the church came after the first Pentecost, uh, first Pentecost after the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Acts 2.47, I have here as... People added to the church kingdom, and of course, uh, your modern translation doesn't have church, but other places noted that we're added to the church. Okay, now what is Jesus' a church, not a building? Um, take just a little time on that. Christ loved the church, gave himself for it. Christ purchased the church with his own blood. Uh, I notice the church is called the Church of God in that passage. We'll talk about that in a moment. The church, so I, I, this is my uh, point that I make on this. The church is the body of people saved by the blood of Jesus. The church is the body of people saved by the blood of Jesus. So it's not a building. How is Jesus' church designated? It's mainly called the church. I have a, a peculiar sense of humor, which some of you are aware of. I've always thought it'd be interesting on, 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 on or around our church building just to have the phrase, the church. Now, if you think people get upset about that, <laughs> they'd really get upset about that, the church. But that's, that's what it's called in the Bible, primarily. Uh, if you want to, I notice that uh, uh, you can uh, note that the church is from the Greek word ekklesia, which means the called out one, ek ekklesia, the call. Uh, it can refer to, that term can refer to the, the universal church, individual congregations, or an assembly of the church. And again, that's kind of a big subject, but you, you just, I just move on from there. Uh, we noted it's called the kingdom, as a few other designations. For instance, it's called the body of Christ, Colossians 1, 18-24. One that I don't have in there that's my favorite is the family of God. But uh, you can't say everything it is. I notice a distinctive designation is found in Romans 16, 16. The churches of Christ salute you, greet one another with a holy kiss. And I'll notice that after you... Uh, put down what they say about it, they're surely going to have a question about the Holy Kiss. <laughs> and so you notice that just me, back in those days, that was the greeting. We don't, as a rule in this country, greet each other with a kiss. When we were in Australia, 
for a period of time, I worked with a group of uh, Russian immigrants that were helped by members of the church to, to escape Russia. And they'd come to Australia, and then they would go, go, or, and they would go from different places uh, there. Some of them came on to America. But anyway, working with that group of Russians, I got kissed a lot. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that, was, that was the greeting. And of course, holy means set apart, and we would use, in this case, we would use the genuine, make it a genuine greeting. Don't, don't act like you really love somebody, and, and you don't. And especially in this case, we're talking about members of the church greeting each other. Don't do that unless it's a genuine, genuine greeting. But I, you go back now to the, to the phrase, Church of Christ. You notice that that phrase, of Christ, was the way, the common way of indicating possession. I'm sorry, that let's say this is, this is the Bible of David. This is David's Bible. Very seldom does it use the equivalent of apostrophe is. There is occasionally a little uh, way the Greek uses what we would translate as apostrophe is, but most of the time it's of. So, Church of Christ means a church that belongs to Christ. Now, I don't make this, I don't write it as a hobby, but I always write it with, with a small c on church. I notice in here it is not a proper name. Everybody with me? It is not a proper name. It is a designation. Like I would say, this is a speaker's, this is speaker's stand. <laughs> That's not the name of this. That's just a designation. And so I, the reason I don't make a big deal about it is that your first uh, manuscripts some of them are written all in capital letters, and some are written all in small letters. So capital letters don't make a whole lot of difference. You know, small letters. But still, I want, I want people to know that I'm not making a proper name out of this. This is a designation. This is the church that belongs to Christ. So then I go to the individual members of the church are called Christians. And I use a couple of the passages there, Acts 11, 26. Disciples are called Christians first in Antioch. First Peter 4, 6, then a man suffers a Christian, so on. Uh, there's also, of course, uh, uh, the king that said, would, you know, would you make me a Christian? But anyway, that, that's enough at this time. This is a proper name. Okay? <laughs> Capital C on Christian. That's Christ. Christian. That... They, they, they moved everything around up here. I brought a book. Oh, here it is. Let's see if, let's see if I still have my marking in here. The I-A-N, or incidentally, Christian is another Greek word. They just made an Christianos. They just made an English word out of it. That's a, that's a, that's a Greek word. It's Christ with that iota, alpha, nu, ending, okay? That means, that designates possession. I've heard Christian defined as disciple, disciples call a, person, uh, call a Christian's person, Antioch. 
Well, they are disciples, but that's not the meaning of the word. I've even heard it defined as little Christ. I guess they think that I am is like a dinette or something like that. It doesn't mean little Christ. It means belonging to Christ. And I learned that many, many years ago in survey of Christ, or survey of Acts, rather, in Abilene Christian University with the Greek scholar. But anyway, here's, here's a recent one here. Thus, for example, Christians were the name of Christ. The term Christian means of or belonging to Christ. It is formed for Christ in the Latin suffix, which under the Roman Empire was frequently borrowed in Greek. This suffix indicates that one belonged to the person to whose name the ending was added. It thus served as a special substitute for the possessive genitive. The better Greek phrase, those of Christ, is more common. So sometimes it does just say of Christ. But anyway, this is Everett Ferguson. Those of you that were in the class previous to this one uh, heard a lot of things from Everett Ferguson. This is another book by Everett Ferguson. He was a scholar uh, back, back when, shortly after I was at Abilene Christian. Still alive, as far as I know, attending the Hillcrest Church in Abilene. Anyway, so that, that means, and, and, and I love this. What are you? I'm a Christian. I belong to Christ. I'm a member of the church that belongs to Christ. We're giving Christ, we're giving Christ the credit. We're giving Christ the glory in all of that. Okay. So that's uh, that, that's uh, that's enough on that's on the name. How is Christ Church organized? Now you're really going to think, why in the world that? But the organization of the church is the skeleton of the church. If the organization, and incidentally. Jesus, uh, Paul wrote so many times about becoming apostasy, right? You know where that apostasy started? In organization. That's, that's, where, the, that's where the apostasy started. When it, get, when it went wrong and when all of a sudden men, all these men began to get additional power and they kept building a structure up here until they finally ended up with the Pope and they, and they could make any changes they want to. The whole thing starts with organization. And so, uh, I'm not sure where we are here. Still got a tiny little bit of time. Oh, so Christ is the head. Ephesians 1, 22, 23, over at the headquarters of organization. When I uh, turned 18, uh, we, we had to register for the draft. Okay. And uh, there was this Korean War. And uh, when I was filling out the form, I thought I was, I was going to be a preacher at uh, college. And so it says, uh, uh, what church are you a member of? Church of Christ. For your organization, I put down heaven. <laughs> Fortunately, my father-in-law to be was on the draft board, <laughs> and he explained that to everybody else. I'm not sure what kind of what kind of trouble I might have gotten in if he wasn't on the draft board. 
Anyway, uh, of course, uh, the world in general think you can't have that organization without something here on this earth. And, but I tell you, when, I, 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 have, I have talked with a number of uh, guys that wanted to be on the mission field and they had to go jump through the hoops to get, uh, you know, sent to a mission field. And they, I explained to them that don't you decide you want to be a missionary, then you, then you check with churches if anybody wants to support you. They said, oh, I wish we had that. Anyway, uh, all of you know how complicated a uh, human organization can get. Uh, you're, you're acquainted with the U.S. government, right? Anyway. Bureaucracy. Local autonomy. Local autonomy. My daughter and I have mentioned that just the other day. Local autonomy. Okay, so the no, the no, uh, no earthly headquarters organization. And now, uh, this is real quick. In the local church, we have overseers who are the leaders. We have deacons, we have preachers, and other members. And this is from Philippians 1.1, which is sometimes called the fully organized church. This is Paul and Titus writing to bishops, deacons, and the saints. And so I'll make a quick uh, little chart on that, showing Jesus' head. Each congregation, that's in the, in the manual there, each congregation is independent. Then I make one circle for our congregation down below, elders, uh, bishops as the uh, head, and then under them, these other arrangements. And I notice the preacher is not the head guy. The preacher is not the head guy. I, 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 uh, I, 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 I somehow understand how they went, you know, when they were changing the organization, uh, they made a distinction between bishops and uh, uh, and then elders, presbyters, and elder presbyters became uh, these priests, and then the bishops were over a bunch of priests in different groups and so on. But but some of these I, I don't I don't understand at all. You ever have a couple of young guys knock on your door and say we're elders? Yes, how, sir. How did, how did they ever get uh, the word elder? They got this, this young guy. I've spent, I've spent many, many an hour at the front door. Okay, but anyway, that, that, that just kind of, that's kind of quick there, uh, but a little bit on the, on the organization. I spend more time on, uh, on worship because this is, the organization is the skeleton, the worship is the heart. And anytime you find a, uh, a group that has split, let me just say it is usually, and it's not unusual, to find that something in worship has been a factor, if not the main factor. The Catholic Church split. Roman Catholic, Greek Orthodox. Now obviously leadership was the biggie there. But music was also a factor. 
The Greek Orthodox Church, as you probably know, does not use the instrument. And uh, that, was, that was a major factor. The Roman Catholic, of course, uses it uh, wholesale. Uh, Churches of Christ, that was a major factor in that. Uh, my mind's going blank on me here. Anyway, uh, there, there are many groups uh, through the years where that has been a kind of factor. Because worship, that's where our heart is, right? <laughs> Can I look at my heart here? <laughs> or really biblically here. You know, worship is where our heart is. That, that, that's where we come together. That's where we commune. That's, that's, what, kinda, that's what the, one of the biggest clues that holds us together. And so worship is so, so important. Have we had any bells? I'm not... No, but there, some of them are leaving. But the, I haven't heard the second bell. I've got a minute left there. Anyway... That's probably close enough. Anyway, if you need any cards, please if if please give me cards on anybody that you have on your heart and mind that you want to be teaching, and uh, so we can make up a, a prayer list. Uh, if we have any others that uh, uh, want to be contacted, uh, winners of baptism, you know, be sure to give that to Kathy up here. And I apologize, Kathy. I I think. I, I kept saying, no, give those to me. <laughs> anyway, I've not received any. I wasn't all there that day. Okay. Thank you so much.